Amen. Well, please do be seated. Thank you, Taylor and the band, for leading us so well this morning. Thank you to those who contributed as well. It's really encouraging. Great spoiler alert for Sunday. What a wonderful spoiler alert. We know, we know how the story ends. But today, we focus on Good Friday. We focus on the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus. My name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central. It's so good to welcome you this Good Friday morning. And uh, we are going to just spend 15 minutes or so now just trying to understand Good Friday uh, and viewed through really what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and it's in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus anticipated and contemplated what he was about to face on the cross. That's where he settled it, in his heart and in his mind. Jesus had previously known what he'd come to earth to do. He told his disciples that he would be arrested, that he would be beaten, that he would be mocked, spat upon, and crucified. But he would rise again on the third day, and he'd marched resolutely into Jerusalem, knowing that that's what he must do. But now we see that Jesus in his humanity comes face to face with the reality of what he's going to face on the cross and the great temptation not to carry out what he knew he must do. And as Steve's just said, there can be graphic descriptions about the agonies that Jesus went through on the cross, the scourging, the crown of thorns being forced on his head, the nails piercing Jesus's body, the slow suffocation that he would have had to endure as he hung on the cross. But we're going to see that it wasn't those aspects of it that made Jesus sorrowful unto death. It wasn't that which caused him to ask his father if there was any way that this could be taken from him. So let's briefly look at what crucifixion means for Jesus, meant for Jesus, and then what crucifixion means for us. And we'll do it through the lens of two cups, which are mentioned in the passage I'm going to read. I'm going to read from Mark and chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 22. The words are on the screen. If you've got a Bible, you might want to follow it. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. I'm going to read from the NIV. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You'll all fall away, Jesus told them, for it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. 
He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, you're asleep. Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so you won't fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Okay. What did the crucifixion mean for Jesus? The first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus endured the cross alone. Up until now, he's been with his friends. His disciples, they've spent three dynamic, exciting, wonderful years together, seeing miracles, deliverance, healing. They've grown close, a band of brothers with a desire to see Jesus' kingdom advance. But now, at this dark moment, Jesus tells them they will all fall away and be scattered. And of course, they protest. They never will. All of them said the same thing. But they do. One of his friends, Judas, is the one to betray him to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver. Peter's the loudest protester of his allegiance. Even if all fall away, I won't. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. Yet a few hours later, that night, he swore he never even knew Jesus. And the others run in fear of their own lives. Even as he goes into the garden to pray with Peter, James, and John, they can't stand with him. They fall asleep time after time. Jesus has to face what he has set before him completely alone. But of course, even without his disciples, Jesus has never been alone up until now. He's always been in a loving relationship with his heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. But now, as he goes out to the garden to speak with his Father, what does he hear back? Nothing. There's no voice from his father in heaven saying that he's pleased with him like there was at his baptism or at the raising of Lazarus when he prayed. Only silence. Instead of wonderful fellowship with his father, Jesus finds himself staring into hell. He cries out to his father, is there any other way? Everything is possible for you, Father. Take this cup from me. But he hears nothing. There is no other way. And so out of great love for his Father and of great love for us, he resolves not what I will, but what you will. Jesus has to do this alone, not only without his friends, but also without his heavenly Father. That's why he cries out on the cross in an echo of Psalm 22, 
Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus walks this road from Gethsemane to Calvary completely alone, and it's agony for him. He can't even stand. He falls to the ground, and he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow even to the point of death. He's so sorrowful that death's almost upon him already. In Luke chapter 22, Luke, who is a doctor, describes Jesus' sweat as being like drops of blood falling to the ground as he prays his anguished prayer. Why is Jesus acting in such a way? Why is he so overwhelmed? I mean, we read historical accounts of Christian martyrs who faced death with seemingly more courage and more stoicism than Jesus did. Jesus is pleading, pleading he won't have to go to the cross, pleading with his Father to take this cup away from him. So what is this cup that he's speaking of? Well, Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 25, Obadiah verse 16, Revelation chapter 14, all describe it as the cup of God's wrath, the gobbler that causes people to stagger, and it caused Jesus to stagger. This cup speaks of the outpouring of God's righteous anger against sin so that his justice is to be demonstrated to the world. It's the cup which each one of us deserves to be poured out on us for our sim sinfulness. It's the cup that only only the sinless Jesus did not deserve. He's the only one who never sinned. Yet that was the torment he was about to endure. Not simply the nails, not just the suffocation and the pain in his body, which, yes, would have been agonizing, but many others would have endured, including two next to him as he died on the next day. If we were to only focus on that this morning, we would actually be minimizing all that Jesus went through. And as awful as separation from his heavenly father was for the first time, he faced even more than that. He was about to endure a torment which no one else had ever faced. He was about to endure the full, unrestrained wrath of God's righteous anger against sin and the sin of all humankind. He was going to have the sin of the whole world placed on him. And as Habakkuk 1 chapter thir verse 13 says, God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. Jesus had already explained what was going to happen in Mark chapter 10, 45. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. He was being pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Let's just pause to contemplate that. We minimize our sin so easily. We brush it off as though it doesn't matter, as though it's just trivial, a mistake, an error. At that moment, Jesus knew the reality of the seriousness of sin against a holy God and the just punishment that had to be poured out against that sin. And because that punishment was going to be poured out on him, God's own son. So we see in the Garden of Gethsemane what the crucifixion meant to Jesus. And we see wonderfully that Jesus resolved to go willingly to the cross and endure it for us. So, 
What does the crucifixion mean for us? Well, just before Jesus went to the garden at the Last Supper, Jesus took another cup. He took the cup containing the blood of the covenant poured out for many. And he puts this cup in the hands of his disciples. And he says, take it, drink it. Keep on drinking it in remembrance of me. Keep on outworking my death, my resurrection, my forgiveness in your lives. This cup is a different cup. This is the cup of redemption. This is the cup of grace. This is the cup of forgiveness of sins. This is the cup of relationship and fellowship with the Father. This is the cup that Jesus has enjoyed for all eternity until now. The cup of love and acceptance and sonship. And it's the cup that Jesus said, I can't drink of this any longer until I'm raised from the dead and enter into my kingdom. Because Jesus knows he has another cup to drink of. This cup was given by Jesus to his disciples and they all drank it and they swore they would never desert Jesus. But Judas betrayed Jesus and Peter denied Jesus and the others all fell away and they all fled. The Last Supper was attended by traitors and cowards and Jesus knew it. He knew it beforehand. Not one of them deserved this cup that Jesus gave them, but he still gave it to them. They weren't there because they'd earned it. You see, it's not a table of merit. It's a table of grace. And today, Jesus invites us to sit at his table of grace. And Jesus is handing us this cup, the cup that we do not deserve. Yet Jesus freely gives it to us because he was prepared to drink the cup that we deserve, our cup, the cup of wrath and judgment. Jesus took it so that we didn't have to and he drained it empty. There's nothing left of God's wrath to fall on us. God's anger against our sin is completely and fully poured out and satisfied in Jesus such amazing grace. So as we share communion together this morning, which we're about to do, let's reflect and consider this cup that Jesus took for us. And then let's gladly share in the cup which he put into our hands, the cup which isn't empty, the cup which is full to the brim of God's mercy and grace and forgiveness and righteousness and love and kindness and glory and peace and unspeakable joy and power of the Holy Spirit. The cup which means we can call today Good Friday. Some of us here may have never entered into these things before. You may never have accepted that Jesus drank from your cup and you may have never drunk from the cup of God's grace. Well, God's brought you here today. And he's holding out the cup to you. And he's saying, take it. Drink it. Not because you deserve it. You don't. But because Jesus drank your cup. And he offers you his. After we finish the meeting today, if you have never known that in your life, I'd love you to come and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. 
and lead you into all that God's got for you this morning. Brothers and sisters, it's because of Jesus that we can say, like David said in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. Surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to invite the band back up in a second. Joe's going to come and lead us in communion, but I'm just going to pray. Father God, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you resolved to drink that cup which was set before you. You knew what it was. You knew the agonies. But you took it. You took it for us because you love us. And Lord, we don't even anywhere near comprehend the enormity of that. But Lord, in faith, we accept it and we take the cup of grace. We drink and we eat in remembrance of what you did for us. We praise you, O Lord. Amen.